I just took my shirt off. I hope you don't have your my camera on. I need to get one of those little plastic things that like goes in front of your camera. You seen those? Uh-huh. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want, to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hired.com slash adventures in Angular, you can get double their normal hiring bonus. So instead of $300, you get $600 for signing up at our link. That's hired.com slash adventures in Angular. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have myself. <laughs> it's just the two of us this week, isn't it, Burke? That's right, man. You just right now, this time, weekly special, you get only the best, just the two of us. That's right. I'm going to shout out really quickly about Angular Remote Conf. Go check that out. I'm going to be picking speakers pretty soon, so you're probably going to want to get your ticket at the early bird price before I raise it. We also have a special guest this week, and that is Burke Holland. Hey, it's me. Yep. It's been a while since we've had you on the show. Do you want to just remind everybody who you are and where you're at? Well, sure. For the, you know, dozen people out there who don't already know who I am, obviously, Charles. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. So my name is Burke Holland. I work for Progress, and I work in the Developer Tools Division on the Developer Relations team. So if you can follow me all the way there, we, we basically uh, work on projects like NativeScript and Kindo UI and all of the developer tools that progress makes, which is mostly uh, UI components and, and mobile frameworks, as we as we mentioned. Right. And we brought you on to talk about Kendo UI, which is, uh, I think we've had on the show before. They've also sponsored the show in the past. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's mostly UI components. I think we've had an episode about it before. So why don't you just kind of give us the thousand foot view or 10,000 foot view, and then we can kind of come back down to it after we, we talk about really quickly what it is. And then talk about what's new with it for those that are familiar with it, and then we can come back around and talk about some of the other capabilities. That's a great idea. So Kindo UI, you know, to give you just the elevator pitch on it, is a uh, JavaScript UI library, plain and simple. It's got open source components depending on which parts you use, but it's primarily commercial. So it's not meant for date pickers. It does have date pickers, but it's meant for more heavy lifting type scenarios where you need a grid that has sorting and filtering and drag and drop and grouping and all of these different things or a scheduler, you know, a robust calendar interface, pivot grids, Gantt charts, data visualization, things like that. Right. Sort of your not a plain and simple input form scenario. Um, so to to just kind of break it out, the way the product is structured is there's a jQuery component, which was the first iteration of Kindo UI. And there's a good deal of that that's open source, and that's called Kindo UI Core. 
And that contains a lot of the common UI widgets that people would expect, like a date picker, like a numeric stepper, color picker, things like that. Um, and then it has a commercial component or a paid component, which includes the more robust widgets we talked about. But just recently, we released, we rebuilt Kindo UI basically from the ground up. So we surveyed all of our customers to try to figure out if we should build for Re- React or Angular. And it was pretty solid in the feedback that we needed to build Angular components. And we wanted to do it right. So instead of wrapping our jQuery ones, we went back and started all over and built them on Angular. And so the we just released here back in January, the first release of Kindo UI for Angular, which is really the evolution of Kindo UI. It's a complete rewrite, you know, hence my being on the podcast today. Now, it's it's interesting that you you bring this up, right? It's jQuery components, and then you just rewrote it for Angular. And part of that I see is just because... Angular doesn't really use jQuery anymore. Or if it does, it's kind of baked in the, the jQuery-ish stuff that, that comes along with it. So, yeah, how long ago did this rewrite happen? And what kind of work do you guys have to do in order to keep it current with Angular now, what, 4.1? Yeah, so this rewrite happened, well, we started it back in January of, what is this, 2017? Or 2016? Uh-huh. This is 20, uh-huh. 2016. So we started it back at the beginning of 2015. And we got to a beta phase in August. Now, keep in mind that Angular didn't RTM until, what, September of last year? Yeah, and so, something like that. Yeah, and so 2015 was rough, man. I mean, it just, it broke and it broke again and it broke again. And we were basically chasing it down all the time, which really delayed the launch of Kindle UI. But, you know, as it were, that's just the way that it went. Now that it's stable... It's much easier for us to move with the changes, right? So the sort of semantic versioning that they have, they released version 4, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, they, they released version 4.1, I think, last week or within the last few weeks. But you're right. And then we were, we had a, we were ready, I think, a couple of days after that. Yeah. Or maybe the same day. I don't I don't know. But so the the changes are not as breaking as they were because the fundamental architecture is in place. And that is really the key. That's what makes it easier to keep up with Angular. I think you made a, a really good comment about the jQuery stuff. So if, if we look back at jQuery and, and the way that that's changed, you know, Angular and even React, we don't as developers, we don't really mess with the DOM anymore manually. In other words, we don't reach out and say, give me a reference to this text box. Okay, now set the value of this input to this value. And so the frameworks are now doing that for us, you know, behind the scenes. React with its virtual DOM and, and of course, you know, Angular being decoupled from the renderer. And it makes it really fast, but it's a different paradigm for developers. So if you if we took and wrapped our jQuery components, you would be losing a lot of the advantage that these frameworks give us by handling the DOM updates because updating the DOM is slow. It's one of the mm-hmm. slowest things that you can do. And so if, if we give that over to a framework like React or like Angular that's optimized for that and pull jQuery out of the mix, uh, then it becomes much easier to build performant applications in theory. Not that you can't still shoot yourself in the foot, but, but that's, the, that's the logic behind why we needed to rebuild Kindo UI directly on top of Angular. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's just talk about this really quickly as far as uh, some of the UI elements that you can pull in. Are they just included as components? So you just, you know, you do a grid component or some other thing with just a standard 
API for handing it its data, or is it a little more complicated than that as far as pulling in some of the Kendo UI elements that you can put into a into an app? Yeah, it works exactly like that. So we have currently a private NPM repo because, again, Kendo UI for Angular in its current iteration is a commercial product. So you can, you know, register for a trial. I say trial, you know, loosely. It, it's JavaScript is perpetual. It doesn't expire. You basically use it until you know you're successful because you don't want to buy something if you're not sure that you right. can actually build right. something with it. That's our goal. So there's a private NPM repo, and then you would just pull in, and we bundle some of the widgets together. So like we bundle inputs, because you maybe have a drop-down list, a combo box, autocomplete, and a couple others that are inside. So if you do NPM install, you know, at progress slash kendo-angular-inputs, you get, you get all of those inside your NPM modules folder. Now, that said, I and some of the other people on the team have been pushing for us to move to, a, to the public NPM repo so that people don't have to register for uh, an account, because I don't think that developers should have to do that. And we've also been pushing internally for some sort of like a uh, personal community license that people can have so that they can get the bits and they can use them as long as they need to before they end up having to spend money on it. So sort of like a developer license. Now, I can't say that any of that will happen, but you know, all of those of us on the team have been, have been pushing for that. And I, I hope we get to see that come to fruition. Yeah, that makes sense. So I've looked at Kendo UI as something that is possibly something for me to use in my own projects. And then also, you know, just to understand it since they've been a sponsor of the show. And a lot of these components are things that I just kind of take for granted would be really nice to put in. So you've got the charts and the grid, which is like a grid data grid, not a like a grid system in, in CSS. But then you've got other things that just come into different inputs. So your your drop downs, your numerics, like you said, just all of these different things that make it really easy and look really nice when you put everything together so that I don't have to think about that stuff. And that's absolutely the idea. And I will say, Kindle, so Kindle UI for Angular right now, when we talk about heavy duty widgets, really the grid is the only heavy duty widget that's in there. Now, that said, we're rewriting the other big heavy duty components right now. So those would be things like uh, the scheduler, as we mentioned before, there's an editor component. There is a uh, tree view with, you know, drag and drop and things like that. So those things are being rewritten and we're on a speedy release cycle. So we'll get those in there. Uh, but like you said, it's one of those things where what we typically see, uh, of course, the grid is the most popular component by far. Mm -hmm. uh, when people when people need a grid, they need a grid and, and nothing else will do. And a lot of our customers are enterprise. And, and a lot of times people are solving the same problem over and over again, right? So it's forms over data, forms over data, forms over data. I have yep. some data. Yep. I need to get that into a website. I need to allow somebody to edit it and then, you know, send it back to the database. And it's, it's one of those things that we sort of take for granted, but that problem is not necessarily that easily solved. And a lot of times developers get these ridiculous constraints put on them from people that have used Excel. And they're like, oh, well, I want to be able to uh, drag and drop to group. Well, you know, as a developer, if you're going to implement drag and drop grouping on an HTML table, like that's that's seriously hard. Yeah. Uh, and it's not something that I can do and not something that developers should even be expected to do. But there's sort of this idea of, well, I was hired and I'm a developer, so I'm being paid pretty well. Maybe I should be able to build this thing. Well, the reality is, you know, it took us over a decade of building different controls, and I mean entire teams of developers, to be able to build a grid that has drag and drop grouping in it. So the idea is that, you know, it's, it is 
commercially viable for us and it's fiscally responsible for developers to be able to just say, you know what, I'm just going to buy a grid and be done with all of that. And that saves the company money. It saves the developer time and sanity. And then it's it works out for us as well. And so we've done that for for over a decade now, making developer tools. And, and we've seen a lot of interest from the Angular community as well. Again, not just from our customers who are historically .NET, but it, really that's about half now. And then we see a lot of Java, a lot of PHP, a lot of just different technologies and some Node folks as well. Just a lot of people using Angular. I think more than, than people really realize are out there. So one other thing that I'm wondering about with this, I mean, you've mentioned the different backgrounds of different people, and we've talked mainly about web view stuff, but what about mobile development? I'm assuming this works with NativeScript, but what about like React Native? Because you can do Angular with React Native. I don't know if you can do Angular with React Native or not. I can't comment on that, but I... You can, so you can do Angular with native script, which is, of course, a different product that we have. And that's really more for structuring your application. But Kindle UI widgets do not work inside of native script. They're web only. Now, that said, we are looking at making a sort of the possibility of merging our native script UI library with Kindle UI so that you could build, say, a website, a progressive web app and a native script app all with Kindle UI and NativeScript, you know, all from the same CLI interface. So there's always plans to take all these things and, and merge them together so that it's easier for developers, you know, to, to build what they want to build. And a lot of times it's hard to know, like, should I build native? Should I build responsive web? Should I build a mobile web app? Should I build a PWA? What is a PWA kind of thing? And so being based on Angular gives us the ability to to build mobile apps in native script um, if it's supported in if angular is supported in react native but again kindo ui components are web only so they don't transfer over to that okay. native okay. to the native component that makes sense but but then again you know you wouldn't necessarily want them to because there are things like like a like the grid we were talking about works great on the web not awesome on mobile i don't know if you've <laughs> ever used a grid on mobile but you don't see them very often because it just isn't a really good mobile input paradigm, and that's okay. Same thing with a scheduler, right? Like you, you almost need different types of widgets for mobile and different types for web. So some of them translate like text boxes and some of them don't like grids. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the thing that I'm really envisioning is, you know, it'd be nice to be able to use the same components across both a mobile app and a web app. And I see a lot of people are getting, I don't know if it's completely seamless between React and React Native, but they're getting at least some of that, you know, where maybe the, the markup or the, you know, the view part of it may be different. But overall, the, the behind the scenes stuff works similarly. So, yeah, that no. And there's a lot of people that are really interested in that. So we have a, a project called the Angular Seed Advanced from Nathan Walker, which does exactly this. So it allows you to create web projects and it allows you to build native script from the same project using Angular. Uh, now, you do have to build two different views. So you would right. build a mobile right. view and you build a web view. But the idea is that there's certain pieces of your application logic, like your, some of your services and things like that, that you should be able to reuse. You shouldn't have to, to write that in, in different places multiple times. So the idea of sharing code between the web and native apps is, is fascinating. And when you throw Electron into the mix, it yep. becomes really fascinating because then all of a sudden you're hitting everything. I mean, there's almost nothing that you can't reach between, you know, web, progressive web, native script or, or native apps, rather, and Electron. 
Yep. Now, one other thing that I'm curious about with this is I'm assuming with the different charts and input components and things like that, that you also have to pull in some kind of CSS? That's a great question. Yeah, we have our own CSS uh, and it's based on SAS. So we, we have a, a SAS. We have a theme builder as well for this that allows you to customize themes and, and it's got some themes that you can pre-select from. But yeah, you pull in the CSS and then you can include it and, and, and let Webpack do it. Or you can just include all the CSS and let Angular bundle it. I mean, it's up to you. We have that in the instructions a couple of different ways. Uh, another thing that we did was we built integration for Bootstrap 4. Uh -huh. So Bootstrap 4 is still in alpha. It's been in alpha for a while. If you're on the Bootstrap team and you're listening to this podcast, you could please move it to beta or production even. We'd greatly appreciate it. But we really like Bootstrap. Like we're huge fans of it in terms of layout. And, and Kindle UI does not have a layout system in and of itself. So it doesn't provide you with any, like a grid system for layouts or uh, for responsive design. And the reason why it doesn't do that is because what we've noticed is, or what we saw is that when you build components and you have your own layout framework, what you tend to do is build those components so that they only work inside the layout framework. It's too tempting not to do that. And so if somebody want, doesn't want to use your layout framework, they, they want to use Bootstrap, then if you've if you've coded everything to your own layout framework, then they can't do that or it's really hard. And so some people find this liberating and they enjoy that because you can use, you know, foundation, you can use mm -hmm. bootstrap and some people don't like it. Some people are like, why don't you have a layout framework? Why do I have to add one in? So, you know, you can make you can please some people some of the time, as they say, but we still think that's the right way to give developers the most flexibility in terms of, of CSS. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I'm assuming that it's fairly easy to override things if you need to. Yeah, that's the idea. We try to document that really well. Uh, and then again, Angular's got really good support for style scoping yep. um, and being able to override things specifically in components and not have it affect other parts of your app, which I think is maybe, maybe one of the most unknown powerful things about Angular is the style encapsulation. Because Back in the day when, when it was jQuery, and I remember this with Kindle UI, you, you try to tweak a grid and you would change some property and your whole app would look different because Kindle UI is reusing classes in different places. So it was kind of a real pain to try to, to scope it down to just that one component. But Angular actually makes this a lot easier, really nice. So let's walk through just pulling together a Kindle UI application. Let's say that I'm building a dashboard for my for my company. In fact, I've, I've been very tempted to do exactly this. And so I'm pulling data from various sources and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to set up some APIs that the services can hit and then I'm going to pull in some of these components on my views so that I can see you know, trends and, and listens and information like that so that I can make good decisions about where I'm going forward with some of the podcasts and things like that. How do I get started with that? So you, you mentioned the NPM, I have to add progress or Telerix information or what is it, their repository to my application and then what, I just import it into my app and then just use the components? Is it that simple? Pretty much. So let's back, let me back up just one step and say that we recommend that people use the Angular CLI. So your first step would be to create a new project with the Angular CLI. Mm -hmm. uh, Kindle UI is designed to work with the Angular CLI. You can make it work with uh, System.js and some others, but it requires some tweaking. So our guides kind of push you down the Angular CLI route because we really like that. 
Uh, and then once you have your app up, you would add the private NPM repo, which is basically registering the endpoint on the terminal, right? And then it's NPM install. And then after you have installed the components, you include them in your in your app module file. So, you, you know, you would import Kindo Grid from, you know, add progress slash Kindo dash Angular dash Grid. And then down in your imports, you would import it into the module. Now, once you've done that, you can actually, you know, use it in your templates. So it would be just open caret kendo dash grid, right? And then mm-hmm. you would be constructing your grid that way. Now, when you bind data to a grid, so or let or to a chart, let's use a chart since you're building a dashboard for all your your billions of podcast listeners. I when wish you bind, I had billions. You, right. Well, exactly. Maybe you'll uh, maybe you'll crash the kendo UI components with all your the there charts won't be someday. able to handle it someday. The chart charts can't even handle you right now. So when you when you add those charts in there. You are specifying a data source for them, but that's just a, a plain array. So ba- back in the day when we used to build jQuery components, the way that our components worked is we actually built a data source. So if you remember you, in jQuery, in order to get data, you used to, you'd have to do like a get JSON or you'd have to post or something like that. And then you would get back a JSON response, which would, you know, be serialized for you. And then you would have to manually update the control. And what's really, really difficult about that is that a lot of times the controls that we have track changes in your data. So, mm-hmm. for instance, if you have a grid, you can make a bunch of changes in the grid and then click cancel. Because a lot of times people want that feature like, well... I don't want it to save until I click the save button. Well, in order to do that, we then have to track everything that people do inside of the grid somewhere in memory. So we used to do this inside of something called a data source component or a data source module that we had. But now built on Angular, we have something called a data query module, but it works with plain Jane arrays. So in other words, if you want to sort or skip data inside of a grid, Basically, what you would do is specify a function, and then you would just sort or skip data on the array, and the grid automatically updates. So the same thing with grouping, and the charts work the same way. So when you go to get your data, you really just point the Kindo UI chart at the array, and it, and then you're, you configure the chart with the different settings, and, and you have a chart. And so that was the idea behind building on top of Angular, is that you don't have to know about our abstraction uh, you only have to know Angular. Really, you just need to know our markup and the different settings, and you're good to go. Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer Angular JS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, D.C., and other cities and online at angularbootcamp.com. That makes sense. Now, can I tie a, a chart to a grid and then update the chart and have the grid change? Yeah, absolutely. So another brilliant thing about working on Angular is that for everything that Angular updates, Kindle UI just updates too. So if you bind two components to the same array and you update that array, both of those components are going to update because they're using Angular's binding. Oh, nice. Back in the day, if you back up the jQuery side, you used to have what was called, you had to have to share data source. So you had this shared data source thing that had to be accessible to both of those items. And it was a proprietary construct that we created. But that's one of the beautiful things about Angular is that you don't have to know all that stuff anymore. You just have to know, you just have to have an array and make changes to the array and things should just work. And they do. And that's the way that it should be. 
Now, what if I'm one of those people that, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to work at a company who started using Angular a while back, and we're in the process of upgrading from Angular JS to Angular 2 or 4. So I'm not on the latest version of Angular. Is there a way to make Kendo UI work for those? Yeah, we have Angular, so Angular JS, meaning Angular 1.x, yes. 1. whatever, And then Angular just Angular meaning two and up. So for everyone that's out there listening, if that's confusing for you, uh, it's confusing for a lot of us, but we're getting there. We do have directives for Angular 1.x. Now, they those directives wrap our jQuery components. And that was really where we learned in, in that process. We learned that you can't just wrap jQuery components. You can but you don't get the best developer experience that way. So right. while we provided the best developer experience that we could in those wrappers, and a lot of people use them and like them, and that's fine, we wanted to make it the best developer experience possible. So to your question, if you're on 1.x, you can stay on 1.x, and you know the Kindo UI stuff works with 1.x just fine. And that's that's totally fine. I think there's this pressure out there that, well, Angular is Angular, you know, 2 is out. So now I should move everything. And that's just really not necessary at all. And and I don't I mean if the team was here maybe they disagree with me, but I don't think that it's fair to expect developers to go, you know, immediately rewrite everything <laughs> in something that's entirely different than what was before. So I I just want to say that I think it's fine, totally fine for people that want to stay on Angular 1x. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like Angular 1x is all of a sudden an anti-pattern or it's it's not good for the web. That's just categorically incorrect. Now, if you're starting greenfield development and you and you decide that you want to do uh, what we'll call modern Angular, you know, and for good reasons, reasons that make sense to the business, then you can absolutely move in that direction. And there's a lot of resources out there to help people conceptually move from Angular 1.x to modern Angular. We have one that I'll give you for the show notes to help out that was uh, put together by Todd Motto and myself and and some other folks. Ultimate Angular is uh, someone that we work with. That's Todd Motto's company now. That's fantastic for Angular training. So lots of resources out there to help people that are still struggling. I think also, Charles, that the more people that I talk to at events, the more people that they're still on Angular 1x. So the question that I get more than anything is, how do I move from 1x to, to 2.0 or, or modern Angular? That's a tough question because you don't necessarily need to move everything that you've got, nor can you or, or should you. So it, it may be a huge undertaking to take a giant enterprise app that you're three quarters of the way done with or all the way done with and saying, OK, now we want to add some features and we want to make an Angular 2 in the process. I don't know that that's necessarily the right thing to do. The right thing to do may be to just stay on Angular 1.x. But I think for greenfield development, the right way to move from Angular 1.x to Angular to modern Angular is greenfield development. So when you start new projects, if you decide that's for you, then start it on modern Angular. And, and those things that you have that you don't necessarily need to move because it doesn't make business sense, don't move them. Just leave them where they are. Yeah, that makes sense. If I'm making the transition, though, since you have kind of a separate version for Angular JS versus, you know, the current version of Angular. As, as I'm migrating, do I have to migrate those components that use Kendo UI components? I move my component in Angular JS over to modern Angular. Do I then have to update that so it uses the, the components from the current version? And do I include both of those in the product then? 
so this is this idea of like merging and having angular one X run alongside yes. angular yes. two. And I, I mean, I can't provide any guidance here other than I wouldn't do that. Part of the, the break between modern angular and one dot X is that while that may technically be possible, I would not advise that people do that. So, you know, there is no adding angular two to your project and then putting an angular, an angular Kindle UI angular grid in alongside your 1.x app. When you start on modern Angular, really you need to start with the Angular CLI. It's a break. It's a clean break. That's okay. And so if you migrate, you're going to be firing up a new project. You should be able to move your application uh, logic over pretty well. I mean, we still have this idea of Mm -hmm. services and and injection. Those things are transferable. But yeah, you're going to learn entirely new concepts with the way that Angular does uh, components and modules. And then when you use Kindle UI components, the only thing that's really transferable there is the configuration settings. So, you know, charts have between zero and, you know, I don't know, 500 different configuration values that you can set to tweak them just how you need them. Well, the good news is they're the same. In in modern Angulars, they were for Kindle UI for jQuery. Oh, nice. So if you're, oh, nice. yeah, so if you're trying to set the category axis, which alone has, yeah, so you would just be able to uh, to take those same concepts and and use them on the Angular side, which is super useful. That makes a lot of sense, and and I like the way that uh, you've approached that. We we usually try and keep this show to about a half hour, so I'm going to start wrapping up. Um, one other thing that I'm wondering about though is since it takes an array, I'm curious. How do you do you just write tests up to the point where it generates the array or modifies the array if you're testing your Angular app? Or are there other things that you should be testing as you're writing these components into your application? Well, I mean, there's a difference between sort of functional testing and unit testing. But, you know, if we're talking about doing unit testing, absolutely. You know, you should just test the way that you would normally test Angular. There's nothing fancy that you have to do. The only thing that's different is... With Kindle UI, because when you deal with a user interface, you basically need to verify. So, you, you know, your unit test is if if the user groups on this field, this is what I expect the result mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. But that's really a functional test. And you almost need a functional testing tool to do that, like a Selenium. Right. Uh, we make one called Test Studio, right, where you sort of go through and record these tests. Um, but to your question, as far as unit testing goes, yes, you would just test the way that you normally do. Write your test the same way. All right. Is there anything else that people need to know about Kendo UI? Yeah. So I would just say that, you know, we've just had our first release. We've got a lot of other components coming. So stay tuned on that. We're, we're working really hard on that. We're also working on some, some React stuff as well. So we're, we're finally getting around to doing that a little bit late there, but looking forward to that as well. So if you're a React developer and you're listening to uh, Adventures in Angular, then... <laughs> then you're listening to the wrong podcast. Uh, but no, but this, so that stuff's coming your way as well. So I would just say that it's been a long road for us in terms of if you think about it, we're a year from where we started. So like working on UI components for a year seems like a really long time. No, it's like 18 months. But to, to when you want something done right, sometimes it just takes that extra time. And, and you just, the hardest thing for us has been just, just doing the right thing. A lot of times we've just been like, let's just wrap this and get it out there because people are screaming <laughs> yeah. for this component. Like, let's just give it to them. But in the end, that would just be an injustice. Uh, and and so, you know, just stay tuned to the project. Uh, there's a lot of exciting things. We had a quick release cycle and, um, you know, we always love to get feedback. So we we have a GitHub repo that I'll I'll pass over for the show notes as well. 
So if you've got feedback, you know, drop it in there. We'd love to hear it. Great. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Maxwood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Do you have some picks you want to share with us? Just things that you like or have been playing with or fiddling with or learning about or reading or watching? I do. I've actually been doing a couple things this week. So one of the things that I've been doing is going through trying to learn more about serverless, which has nothing to do with Kindo UI. But, you know, most developers don't just get to function folks on the front end. They also have to worry about the, the logic and the data and everything else that goes with it. So I've been going through the Azure Functions Challenge, trying to learn Azure Functions. So check that out. And then I've been I have an, a pick for an article. There's an, a medium article on on Samsung's weird emoji. I don't know if you saw this, but it's a fascinating article on Samsung's emoji, and it really is bizarre. It is really weird. Uh, and I'll send that link to you for the show notes as well. But one of the best articles I've read in a while. Nice. I love this whole serverless idea, too. In fact, there's a serverless library on NPM, and it has a utility in it that allows you to deploy to... Oh man, they have like six different systems that you can deploy to. So, you know, I, I've been using AWS Lambda, but you can also deploy to Azure Functions which we did an episode on from Microsoft Build last year, and just a whole bunch of other stuff that's just really, really interesting going on over there. But yeah, it's it's nice. You just write your functions, you do some configuration with YAML, and then serverless deploy, and it just pushes it to the right place and does all the right stuff. Incidentally, that's how, how I have... If you go to adventuresinangular.com slash Slack, and you want to sign up for our Slack room for the podcast... It's $10 a month, and mainly that's sort of a, a collection fund so that I can pay speakers to come in and talk to us about Angular so I can get kind of the top-end people who, you know, who are doing awesome stuff and give them a little bit of money and have them show up and, and tell us cool things. But yeah, that's all set up on AWS Lambda, and I did it all with serverless. So you sign up, it hits Zapier, and then Zapier triggers the Lambda, and you get an invite. That's really neat. And I would encourage people to to sign up for that. It's important that we, uh, so many of the speakers that we have work in day jobs and they also travel and speak. And a lot of that they pay for themselves can get really expensive. So should definitely support our speakers whenever we can. Yep. And then just a few other things that I want to kind of announce and shout out about. First of all, Angular Remote Conf, which I mentioned at the start of the show. Like I said, we should have speakers up pretty darn quick. A few other things that we are looking at here. I am talking to a few people about doing some webinars. So if you get on the mailing list, you're more, more likely to get the announcements. But I'm probably going to line one up on, on hiring people because I know that that's a problem out there. I don't know how many managers listen to this, but if that's a problem that your company is having as far as being able to hire the right people, I have Adam Dill from dailydrip.com and he's going to come and talk to pretty much all the audiences about how to hire people. And, uh, you know, how to how to make sure that you're getting good people and, and keeping them up to date and things like that, which is going to be really cool. And then I'm also working on a course on how to find a better dev job. 
So some people feel like they're stuck either because they're not learning or they're not learning what they want to learn or they're not happy with their boss or they're not happy with their pay or they're not happy with something else or maybe their company uses out-of-date technology and they want to be on the cutting edge. I mean, there are all these reasons and a lot of those don't necessarily reflect poorly on your employer, but I am putting together a course on that and this should come out next week and I'm going to be opening that up so that people can get on a beta uh, program for that. I have a few people running through a beta right now, but I just like a little bit more uh, feedback. So if you want to get a discount on that, go to getacoderjob.com and you should be able to get a discount on that. I'm also working on a version after I finish this version for people who are trying to get their first coder job. If you're in that boat, you can either go sign up for the beta and I'd love your input anyway, or you can wait around for a few weeks until I get the other piece together, which is essentially how do I put together the right kinds of things to show that I have enough experience to either learn what they want me to learn or to just demonstrate that I can do what they want me to do even though I don't have a job history. So anyway, lots of stuff there. Those are the things I'm working on. And then, yeah, I'll just pick the stack again for that Slack automation that I have, which is essentially um, MemberPress on WordPress, which is a terrific plugin if you're doing membership sites. And then that hooks into Zapier, and Zapier hooks into AWS Lambda. You could also use something like IBM Bluemix. I think it's Bluemix is what it's called. Or you can use Azure Functions. I mean, they all work kind of the same way. And you can do really great stuff with that. And then that hooks into Slack. So anyway, great stuff. Burke, if people want to follow you on Twitter or GitHub or see what else you're working on these days, uh, where should they go? They should follow me on Twitter at @burkeholland. Uh, you can also follow Tara Manixic. She's our other advocate that works on Kindo UI. And actually, Tara is going to be driving around the country in a pop-up camper going to user groups uh, talking about Angular and Kindo UI. So that's really funny. I'm, I can't wait for this thing to start just because I think it's great. But that's the Kindo camper tour. So anyway, you should follow her because she's she's a blast. But that's where you can find us. That's really cool. All right. Well, we'll yeah. go ahead and wrap this up and uh, we'll catch everyone next week. Awesome. Thanks so much, Charles. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.